Has anybody ever, at some point in your life, had trouble breathing? Anybody ever had trouble breathing? I mean, it could be anything, any way. I remember a time jumping in a pool and somebody jumped in after me and kicking me while I was in the pool, knocking the breath out of me, but also pushing me down deeper. And you get that panicky feeling, you know what I'm talking about? You're thinking, it's too far away, and this is how I end, right here. I got, obviously, I got out of that pool, but there was, I can remember distinctly a time when I was young and uh, my family would go on vacation in the fall with my cousins. They had a cabin, my cousins did, though their family did, um, up in the mountains of New Mexico, at Cloudcroft, New Mexico. Have you ever been to Cloudcroft, New Mexico? Well, it is up there. There we go. It's actually famous for having the uh, golf course at the highest elevation in the world. We never played it, but, um, but we would go up there, and it was really neat. We got to see all kinds of wild animals um, running all over the place. Uh, but if you've ever been at any elevation, which I had not until the first time we went out there, um, the, the air is quite different from everywhere else. You know, I grew up in Houston, sea level. It's very thick with air. And then you go up into the mountains, and there's not a whole lot of air. You, you, you get out of breath walking from the couch to the bathroom. And uh, it, was, it was hard, and we would be up at the, at the, at the cabin, Got on this hill, and down the hill was this field, uh, and there was a little old Baptist encampment down there. We'd go down there and play volleyball or go down there and play in the field. And, uh, but to get down there, I mean, it wasn't that far of a walk, but you were out of, or I was, I was out of breath by the time we would get down to this little camp or this little field, or we'd go on, a, and, and every time, you know, my mom or my aunt would suggest, hey, let's go on a hike. And, and me and some of the other kids would be thinking, no, I don't want to go on a hike. That's exhausting just thinking about it. But we would go and we'd have a good time. But I would be just, just wheezing, you know. <gasps> Anybody know what I'm talking about? You just have that, that, that hard to breathe instance. And you get down there and I, I had, my, my lungs did not have the capacity or had not been trained enough to be accommodated to that climate or that context. Well, what we're going to see today in Ezekiel chapter 37, it's on page 724 if you want to use a Bible on the rack. Uh, it's also going to be on the screen or you can uh, see all the notes and scripture on our website. Go to thequeen.church and we've got a new special thing that you can have all the notes there, the discussion questions, the whole shebang. Um, but Ezekiel 37, we're going to see how, how sometimes we need to be uh, training ourselves in order to breathe as our context requires. See, here in Ezekiel 37, the book of Ezekiel is written by a guy whose name was Ezekiel. Uh, he was a prophet of God, and the way that would work is God would come and would give the prophet something he needed to tell people, and then the prophet would go and tell people, Hey, you know, you guys, you need to fix your lives or this bad stuff's going to happen. Or, hey, guys, God says this, and, and, and he's going to guide you in a great way, and he's going to come, and he's going to deliver you in a fantastic way, but, but you need to be faithful. And Ezekiel was one of these prophets. God would come, and God would show him something. God would give him a word. Uh, sometimes it was a personal one just for him. Sometimes it was for the people. And in this instance, in Ezekiel 37, God comes, and he gives him a vision 
about something very specific. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. Now, some of you are instantly thinking some things as you, you, you hear this. This is a story some of you have heard before. But Ezekiel's with God. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. He was in the spirit, and he has a vision. It says, the spirit of the Lord took him. So in the spirit, he didn't, God didn't physically take him and throw him in a valley of bones. It was a vision. So God took Ezekiel in a vision and, and, and put him in a valley full of bones, bones everywhere, all over the place. As far as the eye could see in this valley, there are bones. And he can tell by looking at them, these are human bones. The size of them and how they are, they're there and they're in the valley and he's in the middle of it just looking around. Imagine what you would be if, if God took you tonight, you're having a dream and in your dream, it's as real as it can get, God plops you in the middle of a valley of bones. They're everywhere. As far as the eye could see, you, 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 you move one way and they clink together and you move another way. You just can't get anywhere without bumping into bones or stepping on bones. It's kind of like having kids and toys all over the place. You can't get anywhere without stepping on something. And he's, he's just moving and he's there and there's bones all over the place. Verse 2, and God led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. Now, we get from this description of Ezekiel that the bones are indicating something. He's not just there and it's these random bones and God's about to do something cool. The bones indicate that something has happened here. The bones, their very presence kind of indicates what they used to be. Obviously, they used to be together. They used to be useful. They used to be uh, used for something, but something happened that, that took all of that usefulness away, and now here they are in a valley. Some terrible event brought them to this point. They're no longer using a spiritual application here. Uh, they no longer have any sort of impact for the kingdom that they were related to. In this instance, the kingdom of Israel. Dead, dry bones can't do anything to further the kingdom's purpose. And they're there, and the fact that they're dry means they've been there a long time. This isn't a recent occurrence. They, they've done their usefulness, some terrible cataclysmic event happened, and the, the people these bones were attached to died, and now the bones have been sitting in this valley for a very long time. And they're very dry. That's why Ezekiel says, he says, they're very, very dry here. And so Ezekiel, in seeing this, situation was not at all prepared for what God was going to tell him next. Verse 3, he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord God, you know. Now, I love verse 3 for a whole bunch of reasons. But God puts Ezekiel down and Ezekiel takes in, you know, everything that's around him, all the bones, the dryness of the bones trying to process what led to this situation with all these bones. And then God speaks to him and says, can the bones live? Now, understand as well, we have a whole bunch of understanding about, you know, resurrection. I mean, we have the New Testament, right? Lazarus was raised from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. Ezekiel doesn't have any of that. He has no understanding of, of people coming back from the dead. They're dead. 
People die, they go into eternity. I mean, that, that's his understanding of the way death works. And so when God says to him, can the bones live? He, I mean, if I'm in Ezekiel's instant, even in today, understanding Lazarus and understanding Jesus raising from the dead, I'm thinking, well, obviously not. <laughs> if you were going to raise somebody back from the dead, this is a little bit beyond that opportunity. You know, this is, this, you, you, you've missed the time frame. The window is gone and it's over. And, but Ezekiel doesn't want to say that. He's experienced with God in a lot of ways. I mean, this is chapter 37, not chapter 1. He's had a lot of experience with God. And so look at how Ezekiel answers it. He says, oh Lord God, you know, right? He doesn't say, he doesn't re really give an answer. He just says, you know if they can live. In two ways, it's, it's both faithful and it's also lacking faith. He answers, you know they can live. He, he's saying, well, if it is ever possible, you can do it, God. But he also doesn't outright say, yes, absolutely they can. He just says, if it's even conceivably possible, you're the one who can do it. But in the back of his mind, I really don't think they can. Otherwise, he would have answered a different way, as he answers in other ways in the rest of the book of Ezekiel. Oh, Lord God, you know if they... It, have you ever, if you can, some of you remember back to when you were in school, or some of you are in school now... When the teacher asks a question and you feel like it's a trick question in the way they ask it, and you don't want to answer it because you know you'll be the one who's trapped by what they're asking. And so you, you kind of avoid eye contact, but if they, if they look to you and you kind of, you know, say something like, like Ezekiel says here, oh, you know if that's true or not. You know, you are so wise and so smart, I have no doubt you're going to explain it to us in a way we can all understand because you're a genius. And... Uh, it kind of feels to me, Ezekiel doesn't want to put a label on his answer. Because he's kind of a, I mean, if it were me, I would be kind of afraid to put a label on it. And say, absolutely, God, you can do it, and then God doesn't do it. Or to say, no, I really, say what I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I really don't think you can, because then that displays verbally, out loud, my own lack of faith. And so Ezekiel says, Oh, Lord God, you know, you know. This whole concept, can the bones live, would not probably have even crossed his mind at all. So he doesn't answer the question. He puts it back on God because God asks the impossible. Can the bones live? And Ezekiel says, well, God, the only way the impossible can be possible is if you're the one who does it, is if you're the one who does it. And so, like I said, he displays a lack of faith, but also great faith at the same time. But that's really what faith is. Faith is the reality of my response to God. Faith is the reality of my response to God. When God asks me to do something, when God allows a situation to occur in my life, how do I respond to the situation? Is it in faith, or is it in a lack of faith in how I respond to what God has placed there or allowed to be there or what he has spoken to my spirit, to my heart. How do I respond? Do I respond in faith? Do I trust God enough that he knows what he's doing more than I do? That's what faith, faith is trust. Faith is, we talked about it a few weeks ago, we're going to talk about it in a little bit about, you know, giving financially. Do you trust God enough that he knows what he's doing when he talks about us giving? Faith is the reality of my response to God. So 
that question in verse 3 that God asks of Ezekiel, can the bones live? This is an introduction. This is a preface. He, he's laying the foundation for what he's about to ask him. Or not ask him, what he's about to tell him. Verse 4. He said to me, prophesy over these bones. And say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you will live. I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you will live, and you will know that I am the Lord. So God tells Ezekiel here, to really do the ridiculous. As though the question before wasn't crazy enough, can the bones live? Now he tells Ezekiel to do something totally out of the box. Go and talk to the bones. Not just talk to them, prophesy over the bones. Speak to the bones, the things that can't hear. Speak to the things that can't hear and promise something that is physically, biologically, and experientially impossible. Speak it. And the point there we see at the end of the verse, and then to the bones, the bones will know that I am the Lord. They will know. They will have the knowledge and the ability to acknowledge. That's what know here is meaning. You will know that I am the Lord. You will know it, and then you will acknowledge it. You will know that I am the Lord, and you will acknowledge I am the Lord. You will know that I am the Lord. You will praise me for it. The bodies that were once occupied by the bones and had been dead for so long and dried up, then they will be able to acknowledge God. Even though their, their acknowledgement of God has so long been silenced because they're dead and they're dry. But God's about to do something phenomenal and he's going to introduce in them the ability to praise again. The ability that had been so long absent, he's going to bring it back to them. A dry and parched life is one that does not often acknowledge God or infrequently acknowledges God through praise, through gratitude, through worship. But when life is introduced, life brings praise. Life brings praise. When we, when we genuinely have life and understand the source of it and the power of it, praise cannot be helped but coming forth from us. I mean, this past Thursday, some of us sat around the table, and we went around the table and said what we're thankful for, and we do it once a year, but the whole concept of, of having this abundant life from Jesus is being able to praise in gratitude on a daily basis, sometimes multiple times throughout the day. It, it, having life will bring praise from us. Life from Jesus is for praise, is for gratitude. How often do we look at our lives and acknowledge God's hand in it? God's going to give life to bones so they will know that he is the Lord. So they will know it in their brains and acknowledge it in their function, in their thinking, in their speaking, in their acting. So God tells this to Ezekiel. Prophesy. Well, what's he supposed to prophesy? Uh, prophesy that they're going to have life, that breath will enter them. Muscle's going to come on them, flesh is going to come on them, breath is going to enter them, and they will live, and then they will know that he is God. They will praise him. Verse 7, so what does Ezekiel do? He obeys. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, 
bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered him, but there was no breath in them. Now, as I was studying in preparation for today, I found this really interesting, right? Because God told Ezekiel to prophesy over the bones, and then what would happen? Prophesy that they're going to get sinews, prophesy they're going to get skin, and prophesy they're going to get breath. And Ezekiel did that. He prophesied that all that stuff would happen, but they don't get the breath. It's like the thing God promised isn't finished. It's like what God told Ezekiel to do, he did, and God didn't fulfill his end of the bargain. God only got so far, he got two-thirds of the way, but didn't finish what he was supposed to finish. The breath was supposed to come. Ezekiel did what God told him to do, but the breath did not come. Which is interesting because you see also, it says he prophesied. As he prophesied, the sound came. So before the prophecy had even finished, the fulfillment was being experienced in part. The process didn't finish. It started before he finished obeying, but it didn't finish by the time he finished. He was able to experience a little bit of his faith fulfilled in his obedience, but the fulfillment was only partial. The fulfillment was not full. Have you ever taken a step of faith for God and it felt as though that step of faith was only partially fulfilled? Like you took this great step of faith and you get to the point of, all right, God's going to deliver, and you get there and it feels like, well, it doesn't quite feel like I thought it would. <laughs> it doesn't quite feel like, 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 like God finished the work. Like I'm still stuck in the middle here and it's not over yet. And, and God, I did it. I got there. I'm here, but it's not finished yet. And if I'm Ezekiel, I'm thinking, well, God told me to prophesy over, over the sinews. God told me to prophesy over the skin. God told me to prophesy, well, first over the bones. And, and then finally he told me to prophesy over, you know, that the breath would come. And all that happened except the breath. Uh, and I'd be thinking back over what I said. Okay, I said that. And God told me to say this and pull up my notes. Okay, he told me to, and, and, okay, but, but he didn't do that. He, he didn't finish. And, and he's stuck there, feeling like stuck in the middle there. But steps of faith are steps of obedience. Faith is a spiritual issue that is realized in our action. And God was working in Ezekiel. God didn't forget to bring the breath. God, God doesn't forget. There's a reason that the prophecy felt like it was only partially fulfilled. Because God was working in Ezekiel even as he was displaying this vision in Ezekiel 37. Because God still had something else for Ezekiel to do. So steps of faith are steps of obedience. And this first step of faith that Ezekiel had, this first step of obedience in, in prophesying over the bones and the sinews and the skin and the breath, this was preparation for him. This was preparation for another step of faith. This was preparation for another step of faith. Katie mentioned to me something that she heard or read uh, that um, God will not give you a life where he is not needed. God's not going to give you a life where he's not needed. 
Because in every avenue of this existence, he is needed. And so he, he brings Ezekiel to this point. Do this and this and this. And Ezekiel gets there and, and it doesn't finish because God's got something else for Ezekiel to do. A next step of faith, a next step of obedience. And so Ezekiel's being taught trust. Ezekiel's being taught faith, step-by-step faith, which if we're honest with ourselves is exactly how we need it, bite-sized chunks of exercised faith. Otherwise, we might encounter a situation that we feel like is too much for us, is too much for our meager faith to handle. And so God brings us along until we're, we're strong enough in the faith to handle the next step that he's got. And so he brings this to Ezekiel, knowing that it's not going to finish, it's not going to be fulfilled in the way Ezekiel thought it was going to be fulfilled, it would require another step for Ezekiel to follow. So God says in verse 9, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath. And breathe on these slain that they may live. Now, that's the first time we find out a little bit more about the bones. These bones just didn't drop dead here in the middle of the valley. The bodies, they were slain. They were defeated. Something brought about their defeat, and now they're here. And so God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So in one moment, Ezekiel's in the valley of dry bones, bones everywhere, bones that cannot do anything. And now Ezekiel takes a step of faith. God brings all the bones together. God covers the bones up. And now we've got all these bodies scattered all over the valley, but they're not alive. Ezekiel takes another step of faith, and now the breath comes, the breath comes and fills the bodies, and all of those bodies stand up. And look at what he says, an exceedingly great army, not just a great army, not just a big army, an exceedingly great army. The idea is there's so many in the army, they can't count them. It's just massive, just, you know, as, as much as the bones were as far as the eye can see, now it's just you know, bodies, heads, as far as the eye can see, and they're standing there awaiting their orders of what to do next. An exceedingly great army. And remember the purpose for which God was going to bring them back? To know him and acknowledge him. And so God speaks to Ezekiel, verse 11, as he's looking out over this army of people. He said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. Now, he's speaking spiritually here. He's speaking spiritually to them. The, the Israelites, God's people, his believers are saying, Our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We need help. And so God says, I will open your graves, raise you from your graves, O my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you will live. I will place, in, I will place you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. 
I have spoken and I will do it. They will know that he is the Lord. Ezekiel had to take the second step of faith in order for the breath to come and bring life, bring life from what was dead. But this instance here, does it remind you of anything? Bodies, breath entering the body, and the body rising up? I don't know about you, but in my mind, that that takes me all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, right? We get Adam created, not alive. God, it says, breathe into him. In Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils, what? The breath of life. And the man became a living creature breath. He breathed into him. It's very similar to what we have going on here in Ezekiel. The breath came and entered into the bodies and they rose and they became living beings. But something interesting here that I did not know until I was preparing for this message. The word for breath in Ezekiel 37 is not the same as Genesis chapter 2. It's not. Most of the Old Testament, that's why this board's up here. I'm going to give you a little I'll teach you a minute. Anybody want to be taught for a second? This is revelation to me, so I'm going to teach it to you. Most of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Some of it's not. Some of it's in Aramaic. But the original language, most of it's in Hebrew. And uh, Hebrew is a very simple language because it's so ancient. Uh, just to give you an illustration, I've got some massive books on my shelf I, I, you know, that, that are, that are uh, grammar. Like the New Testament is written in Greek, Greek grammars. I've got one that's that thick on my shelf, and it doesn't even cover all of the rules in Greek. All of the grammar rules for Hebrew can fit basically on one sheet of paper. <laughs> That's how simple Hebrew is compared to something like Greek, because it's so old. It's an ancient language. And so the word that's used here is not on accident that it's done this way. Different word when breath is breathed into bodies in Ezekiel 37 than when breath is breathed into bodies in Genesis chapter 2. It's used in other places in Ezekiel 37, but it's used also in Genesis chapter 1. I can't remember if this is on the screen. Do we have Genesis chapter 1 on the screen? If it, there we go. Here we go. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, the face of the waters. So do y'all see it? Where's breath? Do y'all see it? I didn't see it. But let me teach you something. Where's, where's my dry erase marker? Here we go. The word in Ezekiel 37 that's used for breath is this word. Let's see. That's it in Hebrew. This is how you would say it in English. It's ruach. Everybody say ruach. But this, this letter in Hebrew is like hakanalugi. <laughs> ruach. Can you say that? Ruach. When was the last time your preacher talked about hakanalugi? Uh, ruach. That's the word that, mean, that he uses for breath in Ezekiel 37. But what's fascinating about this word is you know what this primary definition of this word is? Spirit. Spirit. So when it says in Genesis 
chapter 1, verse 2, the Spirit of God, that's Ruach right there. That's it. And again, in Ezekiel 37, the Spirit of God. He, he says in uh, uh, Ezekiel 37, verse 14, I will put my spirit within you. That's Ruach. I will put my breath in you, and it will bring you into life in a way you never experienced before. But notice also, the breath that's breathed in Genesis 2 is a breath of life. And the breath that's breathed in Ezekiel 37 is a breath of life, but it's different. The breath in, in Genesis 2 introduces life. The breath in Ezekiel 37 brings back to life, is a breath of resurrection, is a breath that, 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 that introduces life into something that knew it previously but found death at some point, died at some point. So the breath in Ezekiel 37 is not a breath of life, it's a breath of resurrection. And it's more powerful than death because being raised, death no longer can take it away. Death no longer has power over something that's been raised something that has experienced resurrection. This is the breath of the Spirit. The breath of the Spirit resurrects. The breath of the Spirit motivates. The breath of the Spirit directs in where we should go and how we should live and what we should do. But too often we run from one thing to the next thing, from one thought to the next, from one experience to the next, one ex uh, situation to the next, with, without acknowledging God's presence, without acknowledging God's Spirit within us. And when we do this, we end up making decisions and responding according to the best wisdom with which we've been trained, but not according to the wisdom of the Spirit. We get caught up moving and going and carrying and doing, and we miss the opportunity to, 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 to breathe the Spirit, to breathe. We have to stop, breathe, and listen. And until we're spiritually adept enough in our spiritual strength to be able to breathe in the direction of the Spirit while we are otherwise occupied, then we've got to train ourselves to stop, breathe, and listen. Listen to the Spirit. Listen to His guidance. Hear from Him. Be moved by him. Not allow the things that we're being carried around by or the things that we're carrying to prevent us from breathing. Let me give you a demonstration. You know, we'll get caught up and we'll carry things. I've got a bag up here. It's got, it's got some big old fat books in it. You hear it? They're huge. These are some... Big old Bible dictionary type books. Anybody want to read this for some light reading later? You can knock that out. They're huge. <laughs> they were on a shelf that actually fell over one day on top of me in my office. Uh, so me and these books do not get along. But you're carrying these around. And, and if you're carrying something around in your life, it can, it can start to weigh on you and pull on you and, 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 and drag you back. Even like in this sanctuary, you know, we got uphill as you're walking backwards and you're just kind of going and you're not used to it. And you're carrying it around and you're just walking through life and life is, 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 is sucking stuff from you. And, and, and at the moment as I'm talking and walking and carrying, I'm losing my breath and not able to breathe that well. But then other things in your life start to come. Here, come and help me, Reagan. Reagan's going to help me. Let me move my microphone cord here. Hang on. And then you get family obligations and family things pop up. 
Come here, hop up. Can you hop on? There we go. And you're carrying it around, and the burden's there, and you're still carrying the thing you were carrying before, and now you're carrying something else, and it's starting to get to you, and you're going, and you're just trying to get through the day, and you, maybe right now you're just trying to get through the end of the year, and you just can't make it, and you feel like you're going to die, and everything's coming out of you, and you're running out of breath, and you just can't get down there to the bottom. All right, hop off, bud. And then we say in that moment, man, I am out of, because we don't have any breath in us, because we're not, we haven't trained ourselves to have the lung capacity to do that, and I can't catch a breath, because I'm just trucking, and not paying attention, and just trying to breathe, just trying to keep my head above water. Just trying to survive. There's no breathing. There's no thriving because I'm not physically trained to do that. I don't train with a bag full of books and Reagan jumping on my back, running around the sanctuary up and down the hills in here. I don't train for that. I'm not ready for that. I'm not prepared for that. And so my lungs aren't ready either. And until my lungs are adept to do what this life requires, I have to stop and breathe, and breathe, and listen. And so spiritually, when life begins to yank at you and pull at you and take you away from where God wants you to be, you have to listen to his direction, not the wisdom that's been ingrained in you from school or the knowledge that's been put in you from work experience or life experience. Listen to the spirit, not that God can't use that. He can use all of that. But if we're relying on that and not the spirit he's placed within us, then we're doing a disservice to the kingdom. Listen to the spirit. Stop. Breathe. And listen, we have a need to breathe. And, and honestly, this is exactly what the, the, the purpose in 2020 is for our church. Breathing, listening to the Spirit, to the guidance of the Spirit, to have the most impact we can possibly have in our community and in our world. That's, I mean, that's why Ezekiel uses there in that passage an exceedingly great army. We can do some phenomenal things for God. We, can do, we are going to do some phenomenal things for God as guided by the Spirit in taking this, this place, the Queen, Sevier County, in the name of Jesus, then we have to pursue him and listen to him and follow him. That's why if, if you've seen our budget that we're going to vote on next week, this is what it's about. That's why we're investing in children. We're investing in youth. We're investing in our community. We're, in, we're going to be giving more to, to international missions than we have in living memory because we're stepping on faith and believing God's going to do something phenomenal. We're going to breathe in the Spirit and follow Him in absolute trust in every avenue of our lives, in our time, in our schedule, in our families, in our jobs, in our community, in our finances. We're going to give and we're going to follow God and we're going to go wherever He may take us in absolute trust, in absolute faith. And so as we talked a few weeks ago, we're going to try to reach everyone within arm's reach, everyone under our influence, which is why we have that map painted on the wall. It's a reminder to us 
of everyone here, that's a 15-mile radius around this spot, everyone, reaching everyone. What does that look like? As a, on a practical level, just as we saw, it, it's reaching four people for you. You, who are your four? Who are the four people you can influence this year? As you reach one, replace that name. But who are the four? Who are your four? Who are your four? And we will, <laughs> we've done the math, guys. If we reach four and all of those four reach four, we will have completely flipped the statistic of unchurched people in this region. Completely. Com right now, Sevier County is, what, what was it? It was, uh, it's over 75, I think it's 76.2%. It's over 75% unchurched. Unchurched. That means people who've never either stepped foot in a church or they have been de-churched and stepped away from the faith. Over 75%. And we can flip that. We can get that number below 50% if we reach the people. And we're going to do that with who are you for, who are you reaching, but we're also going to do it in the ministries of the church in reaching the community and, 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 and like we're doing, investing more in children, investing more in youth, in youth who desperately need it. They're not just the future of the church. They're the church now, and we're neglecting them. And if we put money towards that, we will begin to change, turn the tide, stem the tide. But we're also going to do it with adults, with senior adults. We're going to have uh, fellowships. We're going to have outreaches. And we have all of that planned in the budget to invest in those areas. And so what we're asking also is if you have never given to the church, start giving. Start. Just Start. Everybody's got a place to start. Just start where you're at. Start where you are. Just as we are, he meets us, and then he brings us along in the face. Start where you are. If you are giving, then start tithing. That's a 10%. That's a biblical principle. Start giving 10%. And he talks, uh, uh, God mentions in Malachi chapter 3, bring it into the storehouse. That's symbolism. Talking about the church. The church. In modern vernacular, that would be the general budget of the church. Bring it into this 10%. If you have been giving 10%, well, is your faith any bigger than it has been in the past? And it's time to start raising that percentage. Do you trust God the same today as you did 20 years ago when you were given 10% then? Then your percentage needs to be more than that. You say, oh, I'm uncomfortable. I don't like talking about money in the church. That's kind of weird. We don't want to be doing that. But Scripture talks about it. More is mentioned in Scripture about stewardship than about evangelism. And if we're not talking about it, we're doing a disservice to God's kingdom. This isn't about God needing your money. He doesn't. God can do it with or without you. God wants your heart. And he knows us as humans. Our hearts are often tied to our wallets, even if we don't, you know, even if we don't want to admit it. And so we're going to invest in God's kingdom here at the church. And we want you to be a part of it. We want you to be a part of it just as much as I want to be a part of God's movement as God's purpose and God's kingdom. So next week, seven days from now, December 8, we're going to start this process. You say, I've never given before. The offering plates have already taken. You can still put money in that basket as you walk out if you want, or you can text to give. Uh, the the um, information's on the bulletin, or you can just go to our website, and there's a, a, a card there. You can click on giving. You can do it that way. Or you can just start next Sunday. Next Sunday, start. You have been giving. You want to start tithing? Next Sunday. Next, December 8th, December 8th, some of you right now, I can sense it, God is putting a tent pole in your heart about this issue, 
You have been tithing, and to next week you're going to start raising that percentage, maybe to an uncomfortable level. Maybe there's something right now God's been speaking to you, and, and, and there's something you've been saving for, and you need to give a one-time gift in addition to raising your percentage. Next Sunday is a Sunday. Again, not because God needs your money. He does not need your money. He's God. But he wants your heart. He wants your faith. He wants your trust. Next Sunday, December 8th, do you trust him? Will you right now, some, your, your, your anxiety level's raising, your blood pressure's raising, your heart's starting to beat fast. Well, it's time to stop, take a breath, and listen. What's God saying? How are we going to reach the people? What's God saying? How are we going to reach the people? Time to put your money where your mouth is. Sometimes we can say all we can do is pray. Yes, yes. We always need to be praying. But a lot of times, Christians, we, me, Christians, we can use prayer as an excuse to not act. To not act. We can say, I'm just going to pray about it. But we don't really mean what we're saying because if we pray about it and God speaks and we don't act, then we're walking in disobedience. Well, there's some things God's already told us we don't need to pray about. In in Matthew 28, God said, tell the people about Jesus. He said it. It's his word. Say, well, God, I don't know if I need to tell people about Jesus. Jesus says, stop. I already told you to. Same thing with giving. God, I don't know if I can give. I don't trust you enough to take care of me. There's There's an issue there. There's an issue there. It's a spiritual one. Do you trust God enough? Do you trust him? enough. Will you stop and breathe and listen and allow him to increase your lung capacity so that your next season of life, it will be defined by the spiritual strength that you start next Sunday. What's your lung capacity? What's your spiritual lung capacity for Jesus? So that's our word For 2020, breathe. Listen to the Spirit, breathe. Because without breath, there is no life. Without breath, there is death. There is decay. There is dry bones. But breath brings life. Breath brings activity. Breath brings change. Do we want to see breath breathed into the lungs of our community as they exhale the drugs they've been infusing themselves with? It takes breath to do that. And as we have the Spirit, we're the ones who can breathe it into them. Breathe the Spirit. Breathe the Spirit. Don't breathe in something else. That word in Ezekiel 37, ruach, that doesn't mean you're breathing in your influence from somewhere else. That means you're breathing in your influence from the Spirit so you can then breathe it into others. Breathe the Spirit. Allow Him to bring you life, reintroduce life, bring resurrection to you. Maybe you don't just need a resurrection today. Maybe you need life for the first time today. Maybe you need the very first breath of life today in believing that Jesus, God's son, died so all your sins would be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead in the spirit so that you can live after you die. 
And if you want to believe that, then today's your day, man. Today's your birthday. Today's a great opportunity. December 1, the introduction of the Christmas season. I know some of you guys have been playing Christmas music since November 1 after Halloween, but it's the, intro, the beginning of the Christmas season. Maybe today will become your spiritual birthday. If you want to believe in Jesus today, come to Jesus today. But for all of us, what we need to do is breathe the Spirit now. 